0: my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, is it time to stop treating kids as commodities? We're talking about the outsourcing of children's homes to private companies and the evidence which shows that profit making firms in the sector generally provide a worse service than local authorities do and are more likely to move youngsters away from their families and community networks. We're going to hear from Dr. Anders Back-Mortensen from Oxford University's Department for Social Policy and Intervention and Martin Barrow, who runs the Week in Care mailing list and is a foster carer. Before we get cracking though, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper, which combines the best of our online offerings with content that you can't read anywhere else. Find out how to subscribe over at bylinetimes.com and don't forget as well our new film at Byline TV with John Sweeney, Zarina Zabriskie and Kaelin Robertson. It's called The Eastern Front Terror and Torture in Ukraine. You can watch it now at byline.tv. So welcome Anders, welcome Martin. Uh, Anders just so we understand exactly what we're talking about which of the children that we're discussing here that you've studied in your research? Yes. So children in
1: care legally refers to children who have been in the care of their local authority for more than 24 hours. And most typically, these are children that are in care due to abuse and neglect. But other reasons include family breakdown and illness. And the main um, places where these children are accommodated include residential or foster care or um, adopted family settings.
0: And... In your research, when you've compared the provision of private companies against local authority, have you looked across that sector, or have you just looked specifically at full-time residential care?
1: So for our paper that came out in October last year, we focused on children's homes. But with our latest paper, we look at provision for all children in
0: care. When I was a child, children's homes were pretty much always run by the local authority. So What changed and why? So
1: historically, the private and voluntary sector have been part of the children's social care sector. However, after the financial crisis and the following austerity years, that was a sort of catalyst for um, the closure of council home and the boom in profit provision. So in other words, the private and especially the voluntary sector has been a part of it for a long time, but
0: the proportions changed a lot during the austerity years. So it was a process of change that really began in the 1990s, but accelerated then from 2010 onwards. Yes, that is correct. Martin, before we talk about Anders' research, I think it's important to say that we shouldn't romanticise the past. We do know that local authority children's homes were often very poorly run. They were sometimes the site of horrific abuse scandals. I know the journalist Christian Woolmar has estimated that between two and three percent of children in care homes in the 70s and 80s were abused. So I think it's just important at the outset to stress that we're not harking back to some mythical golden age of, of care homes.
2: We're not. is absolutely right to say that. I still believe that We can learn lessons from the past, but we have to accept that we're in the year 2023. The care system for children and young people who cannot live with their families is unacceptably poor. And we had to find a new way to make things better. And whatever happened in the past, we need to consider what we're going to do over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, because we can't go on as we are. I think some context is really important here. I always say and I think it is universally agreed that the care system is unacceptably bad. It simply isn't working. It's very difficult to find anybody who would disagree with that premise. Now, what I would say is this, that although local authorities are responsible for children in care and local authorities pay for the services and for children's social care, the reality is that the private sector is increasingly responsible for delivering that care and support. So 80% of children's homes are now run privately. 40% of foster care is now provided by privately owned agencies. And this is a share that is growing quite quickly now. suspect it will be more than half before too long. Most mental health care and support for children and young people is delivered by private companies on behalf of the NHS. Most residential schools now are provided by private organizations, some charities, but increasingly by the private sector. So if we're going to consider changes to the care system, it would be perverse not to think what has been the impact of privatization of the care system and how do we address this issue? Now, we're talking today specifically about the care system, but again, context is important. This comes at a time when society generally is rethinking the role of privatisation in the delivery of a whole range of services. We talk about energy, rail, transport generally. We talk about telecoms. So there's a lot of anxiety about privatisation of all these services. I think it's only right that we should consider, well, what has the role of privatisation been in taking us to where we are now? Well, let's look at the evidence, and Anders, as you say, you've
0: conducted two pieces of research, one which was published last October, which compared the Ofsted ratings of private care homes versus local authority care homes, and the more recent research, which has just been published, which looks at the placement of children relative to their families and the support network. So just talk me through what you found in both of those pieces of research.
1: I'll start with the one we published in October last year. So for that paper, we simply put together all the um, offset data that exists. So we analyzed every offset report that is publicly available, supplemented that with some data that is not publicly available, specifically the number of requirements and recommendations each children's home had been given over time. And then we looked at A, how provision has changed over time in terms of how many new private children's homes had been opened uh, in the last decade. And then we evaluated whether the Ofsted ratings varied on average across ownership. So whether a children's home would be run for profit by the voluntary sector or by the local authority. And our findings were very clear across all the outcomes that we looked at. So uh, private providers, that is for-profit children's homes, were um, more likely to be rated of lower quality as measured by offset ratings. They violated uh, more requirements on average, and they were also given more recommendations. What we also found in this paper was that the offset ratings that are given to local authorities were on average also lower for the authorities that outsource more services.
0: So even when a local authority outsources to private companies more than is normal, its own in-house provision tends to be worse as well well sted also rates local authorities
1: not as provider but in terms of their commissioning their stewardship ability and those are the ones that we talk about here so not the individual providers
0: so their overall performance as a local authority if they have a significant number of private providers is generally worse It's interesting, Martin, in the context of privatisation, one of the ideological arguments for privatisation was that private companies can do things better than local authorities, which were often portrayed as being stodgy, bureaucratic, slow-moving. But the hard evidence, according to Anders, is that actually in private care homes, that isn't the case private companies just do not provide a better service
2: and i would say that this is despite the fact that children's services and children's homes in local authorities have been hollowed out for the past 10 years they've been at the fag end of local authority investment many local authorities don't have children's homes anymore some local authorities have children's homes, and they see them as some kind of historic legacy that actually they'd rather not have. There are some local authorities who are very innovative, forward-thinking in terms of children's homes, and they appreciate their value. But the point I would make is that despite this this kind of baggage and despite the being hollowed out and the lack of investment, local authority children's homes, on the whole, have held their own against the private sector. And generally... Private sector homes are more expensive than
0: local authority homes. So we're actually, as taxpayers, paying more to these private providers and the children who are the service users are getting a worse service as a
2: result. So for me, obviously, the finances are very important. But the biggest issue for me really is the breaking of any local connection between children's social care And their communities. It's the fracturing of that local connection which has really been so destructive and it's so difficult for children in care and their families. If you look at a map of where children's homes are you see this dense concentration of homes in areas like the northwest of England, in the West Midlands, in South Wales. You see no children's homes, or very few children's homes in London, in the southeast, very few homes in Sussex, Kent, Surrey, Dorset. So what is happening, it means that children increasingly are moved many, many miles from their homes. And of course, children are moved more than once. So a child from London might be sent to a children's home in Newport. For whatever reason, the arrangement breaks down, they then find themselves in Doncaster. The impact on children is catastrophic.
1: I agree completely with what Martin said. Offset ratings will only tell us so much, and especially when you just look at the summarized offset ratings, as we do. So there is a lot more information to get when you read the whole thing. But summarized offset ratings, they are helpful, and they're one of the only outcomes that are available in the sector at the provider level. But we know that there are other outcomes that matter a lot and that are not necessarily captured in offset ratings. And that is why we're interested in looking at Placement locality. It is a statutory requirement for local authorities as corporate parents for children in care to prioritize placing children uh, to the extent that it is possible within their local authority. However, what we see over time is that this is much less likely to happen. So, more children are being placed out of area. And this is a pattern that has changed. So, it's a tendency that is going up. And what we wanted to look at was whether that change was associated with changes in for-profit provision. And in short, we find that to be very much the case with a very clear correlation between the two.
0: Yeah, so private providers are buying properties in cheaper areas. I know that places like, Martin's mentioned some of the areas, places like the potteries around Stoke-on-Trent. I know that Blackpool is one of those areas that's particularly popular and that is presumably driven by the profit motive for the private company but it may mean that the child has been taken many hundreds of miles from their home their family and those supportive community networks that are so important to their lives going forward indeed there are known risks to placing
1: children far away from their home community that is not to say that it's not always the wrong thing to place children out of area. There might be situations where it is the appropriate thing to do. However, it should be done with careful consideration of the risks involved with doing so. And the current prevalence that we see in children being placed out of area is
2: very, very high. This argument about how it keeps children safe by moving them out of area always rings hollow with me. A child is punished twice effectively, punished once because their parents can't look after them and therefore they get removed from home, they lose contact with people they know, they often have to move school. That seems quite hard. That's a punishment for a child who's not done anything wrong. Then gets punished again by being moved a far distance away because the adults can't keep them safe. It's a bit like criticising somebody for going out at night, wearing the wrong clothes, and then being attacked. It's up to us to keep children safe in their community. If we can't do that, then we're failing. Why should the child have to move away? It's up to us to make sure that a child can live safely and well in their own community. And if we can't enforce the law, if we can't keep that child safe, why should that child suffer additionally? It seems so wrong to me, and it seems to be an injustice that is built into the current system. Frankly, I don't believe it. I think it's an excuse. For the kind of business model that we have largely accepted. But I think the whole argument about moving children away for their own safety, most of the time, just isn't true. The profits are significant, aren't they? We're talking about the top
0: private providers yielding an average annual return of something like 22%. I stand to be corrected on those figures. But if you are one of the big private providers of care, there are significant profits to be made, much more than you would in most other industries today in Britain, I would suggest.
2: Yes, they are. They're very high. And also, many owners are making additional profit out of the debt that they load onto companies. They're making profits out of the preference shares that companies are settled with. There are a whole series of methods of financial engineering that... Help big companies to accrue income, which you and I pay for, and which is taken from money that is intended for frontline care. But it is not just the top 20 companies. The problem is that it has a toxic effect, a trickle down effect across the whole sector. So even small privately run companies now with two, three, four, five children's homes are increasingly being run with at least one eye on an eventual sale. And that has an impact on how they're run and the decisions they make at a very local level. So I flag almost every day takeovers or acquisitions of small family-run homes or agglomerations of homes in local areas. And you can see over time how these small privately-run companies gradually get gobbled up by the big providers. And so it's skewing the whole system, really. Last year, the Then Children's Minister, Will Quince, acknowledged that
0: the model was broken, said that some children's homes providers were profiteering. There's been an investigation by the Competition and Markets Authority. Is any change on the horizon?
2: I see very little cause for optimism. The Care Review, which was commissioned by the government to look in its entirety at the care system and come up with proposals for reform before the idea of regional care cooperatives. What these are is an effort to get local councils to work more closely together, to commission as a block of councils to improve their negotiating powers, I guess. There's a lot of concern about the impact this will have. My own view is that at its heart is... An acceptance that the market is here for good, that it's not going to go away, and that councils should think more like big companies, more like big businesses in the way that they negotiate. So essentially, they should be tougher and better at negotiating, rather than dealing with the root cause of the problem, which, in my view, is that local councils take children into care, and local councils should be responsible for finding homes for children in their local community. It's a completely different approach to the one recommended by the care review. And Anders, you've obviously compared
0: local authority provision with private provision. Do you come to any conclusion about whether the model is effectively broken, which is what Martin is arguing?
1: So I think most people in the sector would agree, yes, the model is not functioning well and as Martin and yourself brought up earlier, um, it's not that local authority provision has a perfect reputation. But if you ask the question, has for-profit provision delivered what it intended to in terms of diversity, more placement, better supply in the sector, the short answer is, um, is no. I guess the government is pushing more towards improving the commissioning expertise, so not uh, trying to restrict the for-profit provision going forward, but instead trying to uh, boost the ability of councils, uh, local authorities uh, to engage with the market. However, in Wales and Scotland, we see um, that they have come to a different conclusion, that they have now made the decision to move away from for-profit provision going forward uh, and only allow not-for-profit and
0: public provision. So within the UK, we'll be able to see a difference between different models of care provision. At the heart of this, we should never forget, Anders, that there are very vulnerable children who, I'd suggest, by definition, are troubled. They'll have had difficult experiences. What does your research tell you overall about how private care provision differs in the treatment of those children compared to local authority provision? So I
1: think singling out for-profit providers... Is perhaps not the most constructive way going forward. So I like to think about it as whether for-profit provision enables local authorities to achieve the outcomes that they want for children in care. And based on my research with colleagues at my department, we try to look at this over time using data and creating new data from various sources. And well, so far it seems that for-profit provision, for-profit involvement does not help local authorities achieve the outcomes for children in care that they deserve and that they need?
2: I think it's imperative that local councils are given the financial muscle, but also the ability to rebuild their expertise to essentially rebuild their provision of foster care particularly, but also children's homes, to take the lead in building a care system that is frankly fit for the 21st century and not something that's stuck in the past and failing children very badly really appreciate your time both of you thank you very much indeed dr anders back mortensen
0: from the Department for Social Policy and Intervention at Oxford University. And thanks also to Martin Barrow, who you can follow on Twitter, at Martin Barrow. He runs the Weekend Care mailing list. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This episode of the Byline Times podcast has been produced by me and Harvey White. It is a We Bring Audio production for the Byline Times. And don't forget, we are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. It's a brilliant monthly newspaper. Get details of how to subscribe over at bylinetimes.com and don't forget that fantastic new documentary as well by John Sweeney et al it's a really good film the eastern front terror in Ukraine available now at byline tv thanks for listening we'll see you again very soon but for now cheers bye bye